0: Father, we're living in a uh, troubled world. We're living in a in a dark world. But the Scripture tells us that uh, Jesus is the light of the world, and You've given us Your Word as a guide, as a clear word from You on how we can get through life, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As uh, at times we'll grab a flashlight, it's dark, we just can't see what's, what's in front of us or what we need to see. We need a light. We've got this technology in our pockets. We can, we can talk on that device, and we can pull up a light on it. We can do all kinds of things. But we've got to have light to get through darkness, and we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you are the God who cannot lie. We thank you that we can trust your Word. We thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by you, and profitable for teaching We need to be taught. For reproof, sometimes we need to be made aware that we're off track. We need to be reproved. For correction, sometimes we need to be corrected. Uh, Your scripture is given to us for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness because it doesn't come natural. We train our kids and you train us. You gave us Scripture to train us and teach us so that the man of God may be adequate, completely furnished for every good work. So this is why we meet for Bible study and to break open your word Uh, it's not an idle word for us. Deuteronomy 32 says it is our life. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live, live by bread alone. Some of us have had dinner. If we haven't, we'll probably get dinner on the way home. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need your food. We need your truth. We need your wisdom. We are so grateful for the good news of the gospel that Jesus came and made it possible for us to be at peace with you. We were distant, we were far away, we were rebels, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive by his sacrifice on the cross. He took our sin upon him. And we'll never get tired of of remembering that or of teaching it or of proclaiming it. We thank you for what Jesus did. And that by believing in him, by trusting in him, believing that he's God, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast, So this salvation that is offered to us in Jesus is free. It's amazing that you would do that. It's free to us, but it cost him everything. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? We thank you for the gospel that set us free. And now through the light of the gospel and the word, you're walking us through life. Give us teachable hearts tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're going to continue our, our study on um, epitaphs. we really got two themes that tie together, Um the whole concept of an epitaph, as you know, is when a man dies, there'll be some kind of service, there'll be a marker with your name, your date of birth, your date of death. An epitaph is a summary, um, some kind of a compilation of, of what you did or how you lived, your behavior. Sometimes it's just a Scripture verse. It's, it's short. Um, but epitaphs are important. The fact of the matter is, we are writing our own epitaphs as we go through life every day. Uh, we write our epitaphs by how we live, because when we're gone, our um, our wives and our kids and our grandkids they'll remember us, and they'll remember us as we really were—not a uh, what somebody—not not, not some slogan, but. If they know you, they really know you. You can't fake it. So, so by the way we live our lives, our attitudes, our behavior, our actions, um, we're writing the epitaph every day. The Bible says that a man's behavior comes out of his heart. Jesus taught that in Matthew 15, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart come murders, evil, immorality, all kinds of stuff. All the stuff that we do comes out of the heart. So we've been tying this together that um, the heart is critical. Before we know Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately sick and wicked but when we hear the gospel we, when we come to Christ and embrace Christ say Lord Jesus I believe that you're God come into my life thank you that you died in my place I believe you're God I believe you're the Savior be my shepherd be my king lead me show me how to live I mean isn't that what you want you've been living your. Own, yeah, you've been calling the shots let's let him call the shots we wind up in a ditch don't we uh, so we start this pro- we, we start this thing, this this new life. We're born again, and as we've said many times here in Second Corinthians five, it says, "If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature." So when we're born again, we get new hearts. We still have to fight off sin. We still have sin natures, but now we're gonna start the process of maturing and growing in Christ. So we've had some key. Verses. Um, one of our key verses has been Proverbs chapter four verse twenty three. Watch over your heart, guard your heart, for from it flows the well springs of life. Um, the heart is the the heart is you. It's your mind, mind. It's your emotions. You have emotions, yeah, you do. Uh, did you yell at anybody on the way over here who was driving in front of you or cut you off or that's, that's called emotion? And you yelled out loud when they cut you off, may the Lord bless you and prosper you. <laughs> may he cause his face to shine upon you. Sure you did. That's uh, You're expressing an emotion. <clears throat> So the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about your mind, it's talking about your emotions, it's talking about your will, because you make choices, I make choices, it's talking about our attitudes, it's talking about all that stuff. So we are to guard our hearts now that we're in Christ, we're to watch over our hearts, because if we don't watch over our hearts, it can lead to some really bad stuff, we can say the wrong thing. We can do the wrong thing. In a moment of anger, we can do something that can really screw up our lives. Watch your heart. Guard your heart. For flow it, from out of it flows the springs of life. Let's go to Proverbs 16. I'm gonna, we're going to look at a man's life tonight, but I'm going to set it up before we get into his life. Proverbs 16 Proverbs sixteen, two it says, "All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord, waves, uh, the Lord weighs the motives." Uh, th- this is interesting. Even as believers, we tend, even as believers. We tend to deceive ourselves. Even as believers, we tend to, when we're wrong in our behavior, we tend to excuse our behavior. We tend to rationalize our behavior. We tend to give a defense for our behavior. 16.2 says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, Ah, but the Lord weighs the motives. Uh, one, commentator's, one commentator says humans deceive themselves rather easily and so appear righteous in their own eyes, but the proverb says that God evaluates motives and He alone can determine if the ways are innocent. So even after we come to know Christ, we, we tend, uh, it's easy to, to excuse yourself and to ascribe yourself the best of motives. Um... But let me tell you what will change that. The more that you grow in the Scriptures, the sharper you become and the more sensitive you become to the things of God. Um, Something that wouldn't have bothered you as a young believer will bother you as you mature in Christ because the Spirit of God lives within you and as you take more and more Scripture into your mind and heart, and as you are developing a sensitivity to the Lord, you know the Holy Spirit lives within you. In the Old Testament, He was in, he was in a building, He was in a tabernacle, He was in a temple in the Holy of Holies. But He lives within us. Now, Jesus said to the disciples, Before the cross, before he left, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. Uh, And he said, he's with you, but he will be in you. So the Spirit of God lives within us. And as a result, as we walk with Christ, our consciences become more in tune with God and with God's will. Flip over real quick to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me show you how this works. The more you know Scripture, the more sensitive your conscience will become to the things of God. Uh, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And the deal is you can't grow in the Christian life without the Word of God. This is why we do Bible study. So, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper. This is a living book. It's not an old dead book. It's alive because it's the Word of Christ. Uh, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the, watch this, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ah, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows our hearts. God knows our motives. And he knows uh, when when we're not being honest about our motives. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. Okay. Let me give you another proverb. 1632 of Proverbs says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, watch this, is better than he who captures a city. That's quite a proverb. There are a lot of men who do great exploits uh, in battle. We honor them um, they win great battles. That's great. That's wonderful. But there are men who can win battles, but they can't win the battle in their heart. We're going to look tonight at a man named Uzziah, who was one of the kings of Judah. And there are a multitude of lessons to be learned from Uzziah. Let me just say this up front. He was a man who conquered cities but he could not conquer himself. And the reason he couldn't conquer himself is because of what's in Proverbs 16.2 and 16.32. And we'll see that illustrated as we look at his life. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles 26 tonight. 2 Chronicles 26. Now, you've got another short bio on him in 2 Kings 15. But we're going to hang out in 2 Chronicles 26. And by the way, Uzziah, who we're going to read about in 2 Chronicles 26, over in 2 Kings 15, he's called Azariah. You say, well, that's kind of weird. This guy had two names. Yeah. But it's all, it's really not that weird. Don't you have two names? Uh, You actually do, don't you? How many of you guys uh, have a first name and a middle name? Oh, you got two names. So there you go. But we're going to consider him tonight as Uzziah. So 2 Chronicles 26. And I want to make three observations about Uzziah. I'll go ahead and give them to you, and then we, we will come back and walk through them. Three observations about Uzziah. Number one, Uzziah's epitaph is recorded in 2 Chronicles 26.15. We'll come back to that in a minute. So his epitaph is in 26.15 of 2 Chronicles. Second observation Uzziah started strong. He started strong. We'll see that in just a minute. Third observation. Somewhere approximately in midlife, Uzziah took a turn for the worse. We, we can't nail down exactly when it occurred, but in, you know, midlife is kind of a broad term. He started strong, but down the road, so to speak, halfway, midlife, He took a turn for the worse. Uh, This guy is an example of how not to live. Let's go back and uh, deal with the first observation his epitaph, which is in 2 Chronicles 26, 15. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. But for now, just know this: look at 15, uh, look at the second half of 15th. He had all these accomplishments as we're going to see. This guy was a doer, he was an achiever. He got it done. But it says this: Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He had great success. God's favor was upon him. He sought the Lord. He listened to Godly counsel. He accomplished some incredible things, and his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. 16, but when he became strong, his, sor- his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He took a turn, and it was the wrong turn. And he dug in. Could have been corrected, but he wouldn't correct it. It's the same thing his father did in the previous chapter of 25, and I'm not, I, I, don't have, I can't spend time on his father. His father was Amaziah. His, his father started strong, but it didn't take him long to get off track. Uh, by the way, his, his dad's epitaph is 25.2 of 2 Chronicles, where it says, Amaziah, he did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He was never all in with the Lord. He had a good start, but man, he started caving. Right and left. I mean, he he was doing things that were insane. But let's look at the son, Uzziah. Um, second observation. Uzziah started strong. Uh, the Christian life is a race. That metaphor is used a lot in Scripture. But as we've said before, the Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is more like a marathon or an ultra-marathon. Uh, Hebrews twelve one. therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Those would be the men of old and women who walk by faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, summing up what just was said in Hebrews 11, these people walk by faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And he is a rewarder. He will reward you. Uh, You'll have your ups and your downs, but he will bless your life. So we have a listing of all the people. It's kind of God's hall of fame, is Hebrews 11. And then he's uh, summarizing in 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who ran the race but have finished are with the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance. The race had set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Um, there's a lot there. Let's just pull this out. The Christian life is a race, and it takes endurance to run it. It's a hard race, it's a long race, it's a difficult race, but there's a race that's more difficult, it's the life without Christ. Uh, Uzziah started strong. Now, in a sprint, your start is important, but the Christian life isn't a sprint. Uh, Because the Christian life is a long race, what's important in the Christian life is it's not so important how you start. What's important is how you finish. You've seen the New York City Marathon, I'm sure, on TV at some point, or you know, they'll do a clip of it on the news. Or Boston or whatever. You know, these uh, thousands and thousands of people. So the New York City Marathon, you get thousands and thousands and thousands of people running that race. How many of their runners are actually at the starting line? Not many. I mean, you got them backed up for blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks. And they're really not too worried about it. They don't seem that all concerned. In fact, you know, they're probably in Starbucks and they hear a boom. What was that? Oh, that was a backfire, some truck. No, no, oh, no, oh, the race started. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, hey, make that latte to go, will you? But you see, in a long race, they're not real concerned about the start. It's not how you start; it's how you finish. Uzziah had a he had a tremendous start, but um, there were some issues in his life, even with his great start, that were hidden under the surface. Proverbs sixteen thirty two. 32. Um, man, does that ever apply to this guy. And it applies to us. Um, one translation says, Better to be slow to anger than to be a mighty warrior. And one who rules his temper is better than one who captures a city. You're going to see the significance of that in a minute. Uh, One commentator says, one who is slow to anger is a patient person. This is explained further in the parallel line of Proverbs 16, 32. uh, As one who rules his spirit. Meaning controls his temper. This means the person has his emotions under control and will not fly off the handle quickly. Um, everybody has a temperament, and you don't you don't pick your temperament, but you have a temperament, and you can read studies classically. There are four temperaments, and everybody's a combination of some. Um, Tim LaHaye wrote a book on that. John Trent and Gary Smalley did a book on it, and they talked about uh, the the four temperaments. Uh, Some guys are choleric. Some guys are hot-tempered. Some guys you just got a fuse on them, a short fuse. And, I mean, it'll go like that. I had a teacher in junior high school. Uh, we, We moved from the Central Valley of California to... Uh, a suburb that was right next to San Francisco called Daly City. That was a cultural shock. That was like going from Midland, Texas to um, Sodom and Gomorrah is is what it was. Uh, I was in shock halfway through my seventh grade year, and I was uncomfortable. When I got to junior high school in eighth grade, I had uh, my freshman year in that high school in Daly City, I had I had a history teacher. And this guy was cool. I really liked him. He was funny. He was funny, and he get, he taught history, and he would... Uh, he knew how to do it. He knew how to handle kids. And he was a coach. And I thought, man, this guy's great. And I, to this day, I thought he was great. And he, he, he wasn't... Uh, he, You could tell he was a great athlete. Probably about 5'7, just fit. Could probably still, I mean, run a marathon backwards if he wanted to. Uh, Probably 40, 45. But just real engaging, real winsome. Everybody liked the guy. And I don't know, later in the week, I'd been there four or five classes, somebody said something, and I mean, boom, boom. That temper flared, and it was shocking. Everybody kind of took a step back and went, whoa, you don't want to set this guy off. I mean, it just, it came out like a missile. (laughs) He had a temper. And it was in him. It just in him. Isn't it interesting you have kids and how kids are different? Some kids have a hair-trigger temper. Others are calm. They don't get flustered. They don't raise their voices. They just, they're steady. You don't choose your temperament. You have your temperament your entire life. I mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones on Sunday in that book, Spiritual Depression. He talks about temperament, and he says, whatever your temperament is, uh, here's the thing about temperament you cannot let your temperament control you. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So we all have things in our temperaments that are there, strengths and weaknesses, and we've all got to learn lessons about our temperaments, but if you've got that temper that flares, well, that's what this guy had. But he started strong. And he was a doer and he was an achiever. And he would set goals and he would knock them off. Let's look at this guy in 2 Chronicles 26. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He had advisors, he had some guys around him that were coaching him, and you know, he was young but he went to work. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king, his dad, slept with his fathers, died. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Now watch this. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. His dad had done some things right early, and he did too. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, So there's this prophet, Zechariah. He's got a book. And he mentored him, and he taught him, and he was his advisor. And he listened to Zechariah as a young man. It's always a great thing if you've got a young man in your life who will listen. And sometimes young men won't listen. But—and you had times as a young man when you wouldn't listen— So, as best you can, you maintain the relationship, especially if they've got your blood running through their veins. As best you can, maintain the relationship, even when they're not teachable. As best you can, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes they got to go out and make mistakes and get beat up and wind up in a ditch, and suddenly they, they get teachable. What was it Mark Twain said? My father was such a fool, I could, I could barely stand to have him around when I was 16. But when I was 20 years old, I was shocked at how much he had matured. <laughs> yeah, Mark Twain took some shots. Suddenly he's listening to his dad. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding through the vision of God and as long as he sought the Lord, watch this, as long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him, God prospered him. That's true of all of us. As long as we seek the Lord, you're going to have his favor. Doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want, when you want it, It, that's that's not it. But his good hand will be upon you. you. You'll have what you need when you need it. The Lord knows how to give good gifts at the right time. All right, now here we go, verse 6. Now we're going to get some of this guy's accomplishments. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines. Now watch this. And he broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabne and the wall of Ashdod and he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the cities. You know what we just read? He conquered three cities. This guy could conquer cities. He was one who knew how to capture a city. He could do that. But, as we're going to see in a minute, he could capture a city, but he couldn't conquer himself. Seven, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in the Bael and the Meunites, The Ammonites, this doesn't mean a lot to us, except these were bad tribes, bad people that were their enemies. Uh, The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah. Why? Because he defeated them. He had them under control. And his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. So this this guy is doing pretty well. He's knocking off his enemies. God's giving him favor. He's seeking the Lord, and God's blessing his life. So militarily he's good. Verse 9. Now you're going to see how this guy is a builder. He loved to build, and he was good at it. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress and fortified them. He was, he was looking at the infrastructure. This has gone on too long. Let's get this stuff right. So he starts re-fortifying the nation and the facilities Ten, he built towers in the wilderness so that they could see the enemies who were coming from a distance and hewed many cisterns. What the heck does that mean? Well, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of water in Israel. Um, there just isn't. Not a lot of rainfall. So they would hewn cisterns. If you go to Armageddon, Armageddon, um, it's where the battle of Armageddon will be fought. They dig. They they've dug down, and there've been there've been cities that would be built on top of. Uh, they just keep digging, and there's four thousand years of history there at least. Um, not a lot of rainfall, but. At a certain point, the guide will say, let's go down to the cistern. And you start walking down these steps. And I can't remember how many steps there are. They'll tell you. I, I don't want to exaggerate. There are at least 200, maybe 300, and possibly 400 steps. And as you start walking down these granite steps, you'll notice chisel marks. Somebody hewned a cistern to catch the rainwater underground. And one morning, some guy got up, and he, th- he said to himself, you know, you know, I think I'll hewn a cistern. And he took a chisel, and he took uh, a hammer, and he went over to this granite, and he went boom. And then he went boom. And there, there's a wide stairway. Going down, and you just keep going and going. And as you're going underground, it gets cooler and cooler and cooler. And then you hear running water, and you get all the way to the bottom. And there is a massive lake. No other way to put it. There's a massive water supply in case they were ever under siege. Uh, Uzziah hewn cisterns all over Israel so that they would have defense when they were in battle this guy was a doer he was an achiever uh he had much livestock both in the lowland and in the plain he also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and the fertile fields he loved the soil the guy loved agriculture loved to get his hands in the dirt interesting guy he had success you know militarily he's a builder he loves the soil Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster. Um, it was under the direction of Hananiah. Verse 12, total number of the heads of households, of valiant warriors, were 2,600. Under their direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling, stones. He didn't cut the military budget. He didn't cut the defense budget. He increased it. Why? He wanted his guys well-equipped. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers that nobody else had. These engines of war were on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread afar. They were all talking about him. And he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He had a great start. Third observation. Somewhere around midlife, he took a turn for the worse. And he never recovered from it. Now, the question is, here's a guy that starts strong. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to watch this guy you're going to watch this guy just lose his mind, and become irrational, and become foolish, and become disobedient, and fight the living God who had blessed him. He, he's gonna, he's he's gonna, he's gonna throw a switch in his heart. Let, let's read sixteen. When he, when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. Now, this didn't happen just overnight. What we're about to read, it was an event that happened on a particular day, but it had been building under the surface for years and years and years in the secret recesses of his heart. It, it was the result of a process where he turned from the Lord and from Guarding his heart and watching over his heart, and he gave way to temptation and he gave himself permission to do some things that he wouldn't do before. And eventually it caught up with him on a particular day, and this is the day. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Now, watch this for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You've been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord God. All right, let's stop here. We ask, why would this guy do What's this all about? He was doing great, and then suddenly he turns? Why? let me give you uh let me give you four reasons there is this drastic change in his life and in his heart number 1 he didn't guard his heart from coveting coveting c o v e t i n g or if you know how to spell it he didn't guard his heart from covetousness you get extra credit if you can spell that You say coveting? Yeah. you got Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Uh, Flip over there real quick. Uh, In uh, Genesis, Exodus, you get to 20. And by the way, these used to be posted in every classroom in America. Did they not? How many of you guys remember that? Yeah, How many of you guys remember praying in public school? Yeah. How many of you guys remember prayer before football games? Ten commandments used to be posted in every classroom in America. Um, The last commandment is verse 17. Commandment number 10 is in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his Lexus or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What's coveting? Coveting is seeing something your neighbor has that you really want and thinking about how to get it. You shall not covet we live in a nation that's absolutely being fractured by covetousness. We hear all of this discussion going on. Ah, oh, people, these guys, bunch of rich guys, you know, got all these advantages, got all this, and and yeah, hey, listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do yeah, yeah, some people have more than others. Some. Some people have have difficult starts in life. There's there's no denying that. Uh, But let me tell you something: you seek the Lord God and give Him your whole heart, and He'll take care of you, and He'll make a way for you. You don't have to covet. You don't have to get jealous. You don't have to get angry, you don't have to get mad, you don't, uh, so much of what we see going on right now is that people see somebody with something they want, and they want it, and they want it now. It's just flat out covetousness, and it's being stirred up. This is strange. This guy was a king. I mean, you know, yeah, you can cover a woman, you can cover this. i got to tell you, this Uzziah guy to me was a little bit strange because he is a king yet he gets himself in trouble because he wants to be a priest. Warren Wiersbe, Bible commentator, does a great job of summing stuff up. I'm going to Read this to you. Uh, he starts by referring to Amaziah, Uzziah's dad. He says Amaziah wanted to be known as a great general, but Uzziah wanted to serve as both king and priest. In the Old Testament, the Lord separated the kings and priests. And while a prophet could become a, and while a priest could become a prophet, Ezekiel did, Zechariah, John the Baptist. No prophet or king could become a priest. Only in Jesus Christ do we find the offices of prophet, priest, and king combined, and his priesthood is under the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110. It's Genesis 14, Hebrews chapter five through seven. Okay? Okay? For Uzziah to covet the priesthood was ignorance, for he knew the law of Moses, and for him to try to seize it by force was arrogance, for he knew what happened to others who had attempted to claim wasn't rightfully theirs. There's no question Uzziah was an illustrious king whose name was known far and wide, but what the Lord did for him should have produced humility and not pride. So what happened? God blessed him on every front as a young man. God blessed him. What that blessing, what that favor of God should have done in his life was produce gratitude and humility. But instead, it produced pride and arrogance and covetousness. Think about how God has blessed you and what he has given to you. Do some have more? Uh-huh. Do some have less? Yeah. But you're doing all right. All right. Right? You have indoor plumbing at your place? (laughs) You you, you turn on a tap, you get hot water? That's pretty pretty stinking good. Because a lot of people in the world will never have that. But you've got it. See, our problem is we compare ourselves always with people who have more. What would help us if we compare ourselves to people who have less? God's been good to us. He's blessed us. Nothing wrong with wanting to improve your lot through hard work and through sacrifice. Nothing wrong with that. But you've been blessed. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, and what do you have that you did not receive? There's perspective. Whatever you have, God gave to you. Say, well, wait a minute, I'm a self-made man. I... Man, I got up early and I worked late. I'd put in 80-hour weeks. Okay, let me ask you something. Where'd you get the health to do that? You obviously didn't have cancer. You obviously didn't have diabetes. You obviously didn't have chronic fatigue syndrome. You didn't have Epstein-Barr virus. You had the health to get up early and go late. Where did you get the health? He gave it to you. So don't get a swollen head. What should happen is you say, Lord, thanks. Thank you. Unbelievable. Yeah, oh Steve, no, I, I came up with this algorithm that no one else has invented. Where did you get the ability to think? Where did you get the aptitude? Why is it that math comes easy to you? Because he gave you that skill and that ability when he formed you in the womb. So there's no room for it. There ought to be. Wearsby's right. He says Uzziah should have said with King David, David said in 2 Samuel 7, 18, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? David was... The youngest of eight sons and the youngest boy always took care of the sheep and had sheep crud up to his knees. And Dave's looking around at what God did for him, and he said, "This, I can't believe this, how you've blessed me. Instead of him making us arrogant, ought to make us humble. For some reason, this guy coveted being a priest. Why would he take a censer and go walking in, and he's going to make a sacrifice? Because for some reason, he wanted what God said he couldn't have. You don't need what God says you can't have. God knows what's best. There are times our kids, they want certain things, and you'll say No. We're pretty average fathers. He's the perfect father. Submit to him. Don't violate his word to get what you want. We're going to see another reason that he got himself in trouble. Same verse. He, go, he goes in to offer sacrifices. They, Azariah and the other priests, these guys had some guts they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are supposed to do this. Get out of the sanctuary. You have been unfaithful. You will have no honor from the Lord your God. What would have happened if he had to drop to his knees and repented and say, Oh God, forgive me? He would have been forgiven. But he didn't do that, as we'll see in a minute. See, here's the second reason he got himself in trouble. He didn't remain teachable. He didn't remain teachable. As a young man, he was listening to Zechariah and Zechariah's wisdom. But as he got older in his heart, he quit being teachable. And if you recall in Deuteronomy 17, the king had to write out his own handwritten Copy of the Word of God, and he had to read it every day. I will guarantee you, he quit doing that. He wasn't teachable to the Lord. He just flat out wasn't teachable because he was the king and he had become arrogant. This is the problem with being successful. It can really do a number on your heart and you can really start thinking you're something and and you're not you're just someone who's been blessed by the Lord God if he had to dropped to his knees, he would have been forgiven he could have repented. But he didn't, and that leads us to the third thing that happened. He didn't embrace accountability. So they confront him. They say, You're violating the law of God. Get out of the sanctuary. Now, watch his response in verse 19. They they say to him in 18, Get out of the sanctuary. You've been unfaithful. We'll have no honor from the Lord God. Here's his response. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning inserts, inserts, was enraged. There's the temper. He was angry. He was out of control of his emotions. How dare you tell me, I am the king. He didn't respond. He didn't say, hey guys, thanks for looking out for me. Appreciate, man, thanks. I needed to hear that. Thanks for loving me enough to tell me the truth. He didn't say that. He became enraged. His anger took over his heart. Watch this. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. Now watch this. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. Smitten him. never had to get to this point but he wouldn't listen he wouldn't listen and i am telling you i guarantee you that for years and years and years the spirit of god had been prodding him in his heart about these issues but he wouldn't listen he wouldn't listen he wouldn't listen he wasn't teachable this is what happens when those people who love us bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we're walking and we're walking and we're going to walk right into a pit, but they'll love us enough to say, "Hey, you're, hey, you know what, man, I'm for you. You don't want to go that way. Oh, I don't have to listen to you. Well, no, you don't, but you're going to walk into a pit and something bad's going to happen. I mean, I would hope you would do the same for me. This went on for years and years and years. He fought the Lord, he fought the Lord, he fought the Lord. Instead of guarding his heart, his heart got hard and calloused and leprous, and then it broke out on his forehead, and now he's, God's got his attention. And really, this is the fourth reason why this change took place. He didn't watch over his heart. He just flat out did not watch over his heart. Um, Verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. The rest of the Acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, is written, So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. Uh, he didn't guard his heart, and I'm telling you, the Lord kept talking to him and speaking to him and convicting him, and he resisted the Lord. Uh, go over, if you would, to James one, verse nineteen and twenty. James one nineteen. This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone, this is us, okay? We're getting some application for our lives. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear. You know what that is? That's teachability. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. My default position is exactly the reverse of that. And I see heads nodding because you're right there with me. What is our default position? We're quick to speak. We're quick to anger, and we're slow to what? To hear, to listen. But you see, as the Lord works in our lives, we begin to learn the lessons that, you know what? I need to hear this. I need to listen. I go back to Deuteronomy 17. He was supposed to read a copy of the Word of God every day. He didn't do it. I'm just telling you he didn't do it. Does the text say he didn't do it? No, but I know from his behavior. By your fruit you shall know them. Why is it the enemy is always trying to get me away from the Scriptures? He doesn't want me in the Word of God. He, because I hear the truth of God. I, I hear his counsel. I hear his wisdom. I hear how to live in the Word of God. This is why the enemy doesn't want me in the book. He doesn't care if I revere the Bible. He doesn't want me reading the Bible. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to thy word? Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. We're busy. Why? This guy was busy. Did you see all the stuff he did in life? He was a doer, he was an achiever. This might make you guilty. Every time I go to the doctor, he makes me feel guilty. By the way, there's a difference between, between guilt and feeling guilty. You're only guilty if you've, done what's, if you've done what is wrong. You might feel guilty, but that doesn't necessarily mean you did what was wrong. Christian life is not a, a life of guilt. But I will tell you this, there's a fundamental tenet in the Christian life that if you're going to crow in Christ, you've got to spend some time in the Word of God on a consistent basis just you and the Lord. I've never seen a mature Christian man who is walking in the favor of God who is not consistently in the Word of God. I've never seen it, and I never will see it. It's a fundamental of the faith. Steve, man, I'm busy. We're all busy. I can't do it seven days a week. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to do it seven days a week, I don't think. Before you can run a marathon, you got to get a lap around the high school track without throwing up. Right? When Ken Cooper wrote the aerobics book in 1776. <laughs> it was a while back. He had this point system and you know, it was great. All kinds of guys got into it. But there was a certain section he said, "You know, really, you only need to do this three times a week, half hour. Get your heart rate here, you get your points." Get in the Word, stay in the Word. If you miss a day, that's all right, get back in. He didn't want you over his heart, and he didn't put the Word of God in his heart. If you're not putting the Word of God in your heart, you're not quick to listen, you're not quick to hear. And if you're not listening to God, you're sure not going to listen to anybody else that's got good counsel for you. Because you're about yourself. We've all been there. We've all done this. We don't want to do it. Final word. I like the comment that's made in the ESV Study Bible. It says this. This is so good. A lack of listening combined with lack of restraint in speech leads to ill-tempered action. Slow to anger does not mean that all human anger is sinful. There's a righteous anger. Look at Ephesians 4.26. But the quick-tempered, selfish anger of man betrays lack of trust in God and lack of love for others. See, I read 19, but I didn't read 20. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak... Slow to anger. Watch this. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know why we get angry? Because something's not right. And it angers us. There is a righteous kind of anger. When God's name is assailed, when God's name is attacked, when the innocent or weak are being bullied or attacked or threatened... And you get angry, you should be angry. And if you're the guy in the situation and it needs to be rectified, you may be the guy that needs to stand up and take some leadership. It might cost you something. But you see, being a spiritual leader is being under control of the Holy Spirit and if something is wrong and it needs to be handled correctly, you look around, you're the only guy. God will give you wisdom and you handle it appropriately. Not out of control. Not, you're, under, you're under control. You're under the control of the Spirit of God. Even that, it, it might put you at risk. But you do what's Right? There's an active shooter. You're not hiding behind a concrete pier looking at how much is in your retirement pension. You're going in. Jesus said there's no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. But on the other hand, so often what happens is we just get angry... About ourselves and it's not the righteous anger it's just a selfish anger you know there are a lot of things that we get angry there are a lot of things that aren't right I gotta tell you something I really can't listen to much news or watch it much because I get so angry because so many things are wicked and evil and there's deception and there's lying and I'm already I'm already getting hacked. <laughs> so I I <laughs> I walk out of a room. It happened to me this morning. I heard something. Just got a I got a news flash on my phone. I've tried to turn it off. somehow they're getting through. And, and, and I, just, I just went. That's wrong." And I said, "All right, Lord, you run the whole world. You're going to make all things right. There will be a judgment day. All judgment has been given to the son. All these people that do all these things and lie and cheat and steal and kill and extort and take bribes and do this and do that, all that. <clears throat> and they'll never be indicted. They will make a, a, an appearance before the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, that's why I can just take a step back. It's in your hands, Lord. I don't need to get angry. I give it to you. I thank you that you've come into my life. The judgment that should have come upon me, you took. You're going to make things right. See, this is why you don't have to practice vengeance. Don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. Give a blessing instead. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You don't have to return evil for evil. Give you have a blessing as best you can. God will make it right. And see, when we start getting this, it calms us down. We'll get a little bit better handle on our anger, and it won't happen overnight. But we'll start getting, by the Lord's grace, some self-control. Because we have perspective. Does this make sense? Let's pray. That verse 20 there, Lord, in James 1 says, The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. There are times we get angry, and it's certainly appropriate. And if there are steps we can take to represent you in justice, you'll show it to us. There are other times, Lord, we're just angry because we're not getting our way or what we want. Now teach us about this too. How long-suffering and merciful and gracious you are to us. We don't want to be like this guy Uzziah. And we don't have to be. So we ask, before we go to sleep tonight, on our way home, that we might watch over our hearts and look into our hearts and say, Lord, what's there that's not pleasing to you right now? You probably already know what it is. And the good news, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can go home tonight and not be angry, but enjoy all that you've done for us and sleep well. In Jesus' name, amen.